You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, and I am speaking in 2023, even while recording this now. Wow. Uh, my name is Andrew Lowen, and I am your host. And Richard isn't with us once again. He yeah, is. but Sean's with us. So, Sean, um, what's our topic for today? Yeah, so Andrew wrote a really good Kickstarter update. And I'm not just saying that. His community said this was a really good update. So the update also revealed some really interesting insights of why people back Kickstarters. But that's going to be the next episode. So if you're interested in that topic, then skip ahead or to, to next week's episode. <laughs> but for this episode, we're really going to dive deep into how to craft a Kickstarter update and the reasons behind that. We also give some tips that might automate or speed some of the process up because there's a lot of sort of time sucking activities. So we, we get into that as well. So hopefully you find this helpful on learning how to craft your own Kickstarter update. It should point you in the right direction. So let's, uh, let's dive in. But I suppose before we get into the, the updates, we have no news. And now it's time for Nerd News. Last week, we spoke about using the Meta Quest 2, which is their Oculus headset, to create an account and then make a purchase. And that would somehow come up with an error. This was our, according to our theory. And then you'd be able to, because you'd kind of be locked out of the headset, they want people using the headsets, they would then resolve Facebook ad account issues. So I spent probably a bit longer than I anticipated <laughs> this week <laughs> setting up the Quest 2, which is quite difficult, I have to say, because you have to synchronize it with your Facebook account and you have to synchronize it with a phone app and it wasn't working on my phone, such as my wife's phone at the contact support. It was... It, it, it's not streamlined, let me just say that. So if you're thinking of getting a, an Oculus Quest 2, it will take a while to set up, so keep that in mind. Finally, got everything set up, and our theory has proven to be incorrect. So that is a bit of a bummer, but just to let you know, <laughs> buying, <laughs> buying an Oculus is not going to fix your account ban. So we can, yeah. now, we can now rule that possibility out. If your account yeah. gets banned, there's nothing you can do apart from faking your identity and pretending to be someone else on Facebook. That's that's about your only option you have. So long story short, it won't work. I now can work with five virtual displays, five monitors, awesome. which is pretty cool. And uh, I haven't seen any video of you falling over or like your your kids falling over because they got scared at a roller coaster. Or... Well, I haven't played any games. In a... It's interesting because the headset is not designed for people who want to use it for work. It's only a pleasure thing you know it's all kind of like based around games so mm -hmm. i haven't had time to download any games or play it yet i was i was trying to figure out how do i get five displays and that you make this useful it's like a tool i could use for work like minority report in real life it actually does have hand recognition sensor uh -huh. so you can put your controllers down and use your hands and now it's quite limited it's just kind of like it's more positioning and then you have uh -huh. like a pinch so you can scroll and you can select that's that's it but you can't actually okay. like type It'd be cool if you could type on a like, virtual keyboard so it's like it's like you have the Cloud Strife's hands from the original Final Fantasy VII. It's like big box hands is all that matters. Long story short, if you want to get an Oculus headset for work because you want multiple displays, like when I work, I have two displays. So I have just my laptop and then a, an external display, which is all I need. But hey, who doesn't want five displays? <laughs> <laughs> so 
you need to use an app called Immersed. You can get three displays with that for free. And how it works is sort of links your desktop computer with the headset. If you want to add another two displays, it's $10, but I think it's it's worth it. So it isn't the clearest. You know, the headset does... <laughs> It is like, I don't know, it feels like a head crab. If you've played Half-Life, these these head crabs. kind of feels like you've got a head crab on your face. Um, so it hurts after a while. But hey, you got five displays and it's just, it's, it's pretty cool. Like in this virtual world, it's a little bit blurry. So you, your eyes will get strained. So it, I don't know, it's it's more of, I can, you can kind of see the potential of it in the future. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think it's it's mostly just for entertainment if you want to play games, which is a real pity because Windows became so popular was not because it had the ability to play games it was because of its use in enterprise it had had really good i think it's called access manager account manager i could be mm-hmm. mistaken but it, the enterprise level of windows was very good at like distributing user profiles for people and that's why that's where windows actually makes their money it was through that through that software and i suppose when people got used to windows and it was like oh what am i going to do on the weekend well i'll use my computer which is Windows because I know how to use it at work or play video games. So yeah. I think if if the Oculus or the Meta Quest is going to really succeed, it has to focus on enterprise. How can this be used for work? And I think having multiple displays is key because who wants to buy you know five displays when you just buy one headset that you can have an infinite number of displays? That would be cool. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's not really there yet. It's more of a gimmick. It does seem like it's still in beta. I'm going to be honest with you. It's yeah. it's not really um, it's not really polished. But they haven't thought things through. Like, for example, you're able to link the Oculus with your computer natively, but you need a like USB three cable that's long enough and powerful enough to do it, which doesn't come with headset. So it's kind of like getting a PlayStation without the controller. It's like, oh great! <laughs> like, why doesn't that? Why is that included? In the headset, so then you have to buy software or, as I said, use software that connects it through wirelessly. Mm-hmm. But again, you have to research that. It's not just, it's not out of the box. It's like, okay, well, what can I do then? And so it takes a lot. It takes a bit yeah. of research. So yeah, there's things which aren't streamlined in it. So it's right now it's, it's gimmicky. I, you know, they really want people to like embrace this, but until it's mm-hmm. far more streamlined, and I think it, it, in, until it's focused on enterprise. It's not going to be widely embraced right now. It's more of a oh, it's a cool way to play video games, or you can play certain yeah. types of video games with it. I look forward to when they they actually make the front of the headset a lot lighter and actually transparent. That would be really cool, so you can actually see your displays. Um, right now, actually, if you if you get in a high quality or you know I don't know high quality, but maybe like a modern car, um, something that's produced in 2021, 22, or twenty three, a lot of the time you'll find that. In the driver's seat, you'll be able to see the um, how many miles per hour or kilometers per hour you're going in the lower left corner of the windshield. But if you were to slide over a little bit, that display actually goes away. So oh. it's this, it's it's almost like, like VR, a, like, a, like a hologram. AR. Yeah, it's it very much like that. And um, what kind of fancy cars are you traveling in, <laughs> dude? I so I saw it in. I had to move. It was a brand new GMC truck that I had to move a piece of furniture from a neighbor's house. The neighbor let me borrow their fancy truck and it had that functionality. Also, my mom has a really fancy Audi and it's it's in that too. And my dad has a fancy BMW 
and it's in that as you, well. You, you said so. you said it right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Audi. <laughs> we we uh, yeah Audi. Audi Audi. Yeah, Audi. I think the German Audi? pronunciation is Audi. You have to say it with a German accent. Audi. By the way, if you haven't been following along the saga of Sean's Facebook account, his account got banned because he spoke poorly about Rings of Power, and then his account was restricted. His advertising ability was removed and you know we had some redundant um it he had another redundant account that he was able to continue using for advertising but his main facebook account that he posts and talks and whatnot it's like the convenient one is banned for you know for for life only from ads he's still able to do everything else he just can't like manage ads which is very can be very traumatic for um for a business like ours which is why we have redundancy. And I heard that by uh, one person was able to purchase the Oculus Quest and tie their account, you know, their personal Facebook account, which you have to do, to the um, the Oculus Quest. And they tried to buy something in the store. Facebook had restricted their account. They weren't able to buy something in the store. So they worked directly with the um, Oculus help people to resolve that. And they did. And it fixed the problem in the ad account. And so I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity to to test this, and we did. And so it was an expensive uh, lesson, but you know, at least Sean can play Half Life in VR. When you're setting up the headset, you have to verify on your phone a code that links it, but you have to take the headset off <laughs> to look yeah. at your phone. It's like, why isn't there a button I can just like switch between virtual reality and just like normal goggles? Uh-huh. Why doesn't that exist? Like you're, and like it's strapped to your head, so you unstrap it and then look at the code, memorize it, put the thing back on your head. It's like, why didn't they think of this? (laughs) You know, one thing I think would be very cool is I think it would be very sensible is is the cameras on the outside. The important thing is really sensing your surroundings. So if they built their algorithm to, you know, know where the corners were, know where the desk was, the floor, the walls, you know, the doorways, etc you could just augment that and say now you're in tron you know the the world of tron yeah it you could just skin a, a block right here and the block i think that's is i think that's where they're gonna head okay. head head with it i think that's probably because i i definitely could see that happening and as you said it's too heavy to have on your face for any significant amount of time so it's fine if you're playing a video game for an hour two hours mm-hmm. but if you want to spend like an eight hour work day with that neck on your head that's just it's not so it's not so much the neck it's it's more so like your cheeks and uh-huh. just like up here because you've got to have it quite tight for not to be blurry so as i said it's like having a head crab on your face uh-huh. <laughs> or it's like scuba diving if you ever like wore like goggles you know like uh, super tight yep. eventually yep. it hurts and that's what it's like well that's really uh very interesting i hope i hope a lot of this makes it into the podcast that's pretty fun to discuss not sure how relevant it is to marketing aside from the fact that we tried something and failed but at least everybody knows we failed. Well, so. you know, Facebook are, are marketing this technology pretty aggressively. So mm-hmm. I think there's room for improvement in their marketing department. <laughs> yeah. Well, if they want to hire us as consultants, then our rate is a million dollars an hour. <laughs> so. <laughs> so yeah, let's get into this uh, topic at hand, which is really to discuss the uh, what moves the needle in a backer's mind to kind of get them off the fence to actually back a Kickstarter or, or, or GamePad or crowdfunding project versus 
to wait. Just before we jump into the that that topic, I think it would be worth spending a bit of time talking about the update itself, simply because a lot of people, I read the comments, a lot of people saying, great update, great update, great update. A lot of people appreciated the update. So since we're, we're basing this entire thing off of an update, it'd probably be important if we just briefly cover for our listeners how to write a good update because your community said it was a great update. And I did like track out the summary and I think this would be a good template for people to use. And then obviously we can then jump into the topic, but I do think it would be worthwhile just kind of going over that. One question I had, Andrew, is that when you, you do a monthly update, do you just sit down and do it or throughout the month, are you taking notes somewhere where you're like, oh, I can mention this? Because I imagine by the time you get to the end of the month, you've probably forgotten a bunch of stuff that happened earlier in the month. Or do you just, does it all just kind of flow at, at like one sitting and you get it get it out? How do you, how, what's your process like? So I tend to be a very spontaneous person that loves to do things at the last minute and and fly by the seat of my pants. Um, you know, the way that I deal with my personality in this case, I... Um, I'm active in my social communities. I am obviously working to produce the game. So there are benchmarks of things that are happening in, in the month, but I always save all of those things for the very end. I think it's very important that everybody is consistent with their backers, that you teach them when you're going to update, and then you make every, every single opportunity, every single effort to, to actually post when you promised. And, you know, when you set those expectations for me, it's the final day of the month. You'll always get an update on the final day of the month. And sometimes my European Union uh, fans are like, is it going to come out before I have to go to bed? You know, and sometimes mm -hmm. the answer is no. But, you know, I always post on the on the final day of the month. I've considered sometimes just saying like, man, like today the or, you know, this last time, the final day of the month was New Year's Eve. So. It was uh, very inconvenient for me to actually post that thing um, on that day. I had to plan a little bit more time. So my process is this. About two days before, I will sit down and write just a, a quick, a fast bullet bulleted list of the memorable moments of the month that related to deliverance. And then I will also add into that list what I call my, my standard items, you know, like the timeline update the introduction, which is before the first major headline, and then the conclusion, which is like a, a sign-off of, of some kind. That might be a good segue then to go into the actual layout of your updates, because I, I did take note of how you laid it out, mm -hmm. and I think people will probably want to mim mimic it. So the first thing you had is a summary, and we'll include a link in the show notes, people can look mm -hmm. at the update, but we had, you had a summary of what was going to be covered. So this was kind of like a TLDR of everything that was going to be covered in this update, which I think is useful. Mm -hmm. Then you had your timeline update, and that's sort of like this reoccurring update of the actual nuts and bolts of the project. And this is when needs is being done. This is where we are in the timeline. Yep. Then you had like a, a what's coming next section. So where do we go from here? What are we working on next? And then you sort of ended with a question that sparks discussion. And then after that, you had a, a teaser for the next email. This is what we're going to be covering in the next email, which I thought was really clever. It kind of keeps people invested in opening each email. So that's basically the layout. I thought it was very clever. So like a, a summary, this is what we have, a question that sparks discussion, and then, hey, this is what's going to be in the next email. Yes. So this is just my first project. However, 
we've dealt with a lot of campaigns now. I mean, I personally have backed a ton, uh, 171 campaigns. I don't tell my wife. I have backed on Kickstarter. And then in addition, you know, additional projects on GameBound. But it's the first one I created. Of course, we've marketed about 100 campaigns as well. There's a lot, I'll say, more experience that I, I would say I, I have uh, that I'm able to um, leverage than just being a first-time creator. So, uh, but that said, I use a lot of things that originally were inspired by others. You know, one that is the very first one, in fact, the summary, the quick summary that lets people know that, you know, like you said, the TL, too long didn't read, the TLDR, that's there on purpose for the people that aren't just going to read and soak up every word that I say because they, they're hardcore fans of the project. There are people that are casual fans that are like, you know, that look at the, the actual title of the, of the update and say, okay, this one is, okay, a gameplay report. It's got some news, some pictures. Am I interested in, the, in any of those things? Or it could be people who are busy and they're just opening their email. They want to get a right. quick summary. Oh, I'm going to check that later. And they, they yes. book it or they, they star it or whatever, and they come back to it later. Absolutely. And I think it's very important to give them a sum in both the title and like, don't be too cute in your titles. Like when you put a uh, title together for your updates, just, you know, you don't want to be like manufacturing report, January edition, manufacturing report, February edition, you know, it just was like, why would I ever read the January update? If I, if I take a four month break and then I come back, I, I would like to each, each update in the title and the, the quick little, you know, for me, it's like three lines of description right below that would tell people why they might want to read this update. In some cases, the information is going to be outdated. Obviously the timeline update would be outdated um, at the very least in some of those, if, if you came back after four months uh, and wanted to play catch up. But I think that the the title and the summary are very important for that. Also, um, I got that from Jamie Stegmeier. Some one of the articles that he wrote a long time ago talked about use using like a giving a quick summary and then a primer, like a call to action. So there is a call to action included in the first initial paragraph, the little three line paragraph. You'll see it's very similar. Read on for details. Read more or um, get the scoop now. You know, type content that, that's that and then that's immediately followed by a timeline update or what i consider like the most important news that you that you absolutely need to know if you read nothing else and you wanted to have a an understanding of you know the most critical things i i would say the timeline is probably you know for for your crowdfunding campaign and and the delivery of your product you know, that's keeping the main thing, the main thing. And one thing I mentioned as well is that you made it personal. It wasn't superficial. It wasn't like this month I played Deliverance for the first time with my parents and they loved it. And then you <laughs> moved on. When reading it, it felt like I was sitting at the table, you know, kind of witnessing that event. Like you were very specific. This is the character they, they picked. This is the enemy we fought. This was a funny thing that happened. My dad was goofing off in the beginning and he's not really into games, but as we, as we played, he became far more focused. And what, what that whole section did, one reminded people, this was worth backing because I, you got to kind of experience the game. It was almost like playing the game yourself like vicariously mm -hmm. through that description. But then it also did something very useful was that it demonstrated that this game can be played with normies <laughs> like complete yeah. people who, who don't care about games even they will enjoy this so i can play with my hardcore buddies at game night mm -hmm. but i can also like bring people who 
like it has the ability to to like reduce its difficulty level so that even like my parents who don't play games be able to play and have a fun time. And I think that was very powerful. So even though it was an update, you're also marketing the game. Like you're you're kind of reassuring yeah. people that this was a good idea to back. I don't know if that was intentional, but that's certainly what I got. And I think a lot of people appreciated that that section in particular. Yeah, there there were actually a lot of comments on this update, and uh, and of course elsewhere on our social media, uh, both on our Facebook page in our Facebook group, a lot of emails that I received. Every almost every one of them, it felt like, posted a a reference to that. Or you know, at least at least half of these posted a reference to that uh, playtest mm-hmm. report. Marketing it's it's always a moving target, but one thing that you can always bank on is that the most powerful type of marketing that you can do, bang for the buck, is internal marketing. So you market to your fans. You, you know, talk to your fans, mm-hmm. assume that they care about the project, and share it with them. And I think that's one of the things that I really try to do. And I always recommend to our clients that, you know, you should bring your fans along, but also you are a fan. Most of the time, people that create something like a board game are making a thing they wanted to see in the world and it mm-hmm. didn't exist. And so they innovated and made a made the thing. And in my case, that's that's absolutely true. And I am a total sap when I but but I'm unashamed to say that it's like it's my favorite game to play. So I, you know, I'm just kind of a fellow fan with my people, you know, you kind of, when you write an update, you set the stage for how you will interact with people. And I think one of the most, um, oh, I'll say one of the, the more detested styles of communication is corporate communication. If -hmm. you communicate with a group or with your audience, as though you are a corporate machine, then it's just you're definitely not a human and you certainly don't care about me because corporate machines care about money. And that's, that's a very, you know, I I feel ever since, you know, the early two thousands is, is a very uh, generally discouraging, a discouraging thing to your listeners. And I would discourage you from communicating in that way. Um, The way that I much prefer to communicate is to be an actual person. You can go too far and I'm always, um, Con, cons, I always consider when I write something like this, u- using this example of our most recent deliverance update it, with this playtest report, I played deliverance with my parents for the first time. And it was scary because I had been working on this thing for six and a half years and they heard about it a lot. And I never let them play it because, you know, it's complicated. It's a gamer's game and they they don't play anything except for maybe Wordle. And I just decided one one day, it's like, you know, if this game is good enough for our Kickstarter backers, because now it's pretty much set and not changing, um, it's got to be good enough for my parents. Now or never, you know. And so I, I went for it, and they they loved it. And and so there there was a purpose for me to write this for for the fans. Number one, the way that I wrote it, I tried to make sure that every sentence was purposeful, that every sentence mattered. I tried not to include too much fluff. Um, I tend to write in a in a manner that is very. Um, I use a lot of adjectives. Uh, things are not just things; they're amazing things. And you know, I I awesome write that things. way. Yeah, awesome things. <laughs> totally. I don't think people think I'm cute. That I think they look at me as just a normal person, and they there's not. It's not like I'm Jerry Seinfeld when I walk up on stage or something. 
it's, you know, Jerry Seinfeld could say anything he wants for the first three minutes and you'll laugh. But for me, it's like, you, you don't, I'm not like a famous person. Um, so they don't really ha- care what I have to say just because it's me. They care about the content, uh, I guess, is the, uh, you know, the emphasis. So I tried to make sure that the content is relevant to their interests. Very, very important. Mm-hmm. So when I write something, even if it's personal, I wrote this because I felt like others have casuals in their life that they are hoping to play with. And this is how that experience went for me. And um, so I, you know, both of those cases I felt were, or, you know, both, but I try to make sure that it's, that it's relevant and that I'm not being too cute with the content, you know? So that said, you know, jokes left and right and uh, write how you want to write. You know, the most important thing is that you actually write, not that you're paralyzed unless you write perfectly, you know, because then you'll just remain paralyzed. And then one thing we've also discussed, which I think would be worth considering is some somehow centralizing some of these communications. I know it must be very difficult doing a Kickstarter update, posting it on social media, putting on BoardGameGeek. There's so many places where people can comment. And I almost feel like if you just had like the, the Kickstarter update and the board game geek that's where you post but it all links back to your personal blog i think that's what jamie stegmeyer did and i think that's why his blog is, is is so successful and there's so many people who read it is because it was a place where he centralized communications with backers and it's also creating a culture of people going to your site seeing seeing it all in one place and i also think it would be a good idea because you can then have a a history. It's like, oh, I want to read the, the previous updates. Well, they're all there in one place. All the comments are there from all your communities. So it's a centralized place. And then yeah. that, people then know that, oh, this is where I go to not only talk updates, but also interact with the entire community as a central space. And the other advantage is that if it's on your blog, it, it will have or should have an RSS feed, which means people can subscribe mm-hmm. to it. So they can get notified as soon as you post it. You don't even have to go and post it on social medias if they subscribe to RSS and you educate your backers on how to do that, which is quite easy. Well, then as soon as you post it, they're instantly getting notified that the post is is there. Right. Yeah. So I the, my philosophy is that I want to try to communicate with the people where they are, and I don't want to try to teach new behaviors necessarily to get them to consume my information. What I would rather do is use information in places where people are used to going so they can read it right there. And then if they want more information or if they want to read, for example, a specialized article, then that kind of is. So the Kickstarter update would be an example of like a launching platform into the blog. But I think that each place should have unique content if possible. And then, you know, like you should have one main place. I agree with you that should have the unique content that people want to go and read. And, um, I think that for me, the Kickstarter post is just where I find it's, um, it's just easiest for whatever reason, it's easiest to, to post there where versus like formatting on a blog and, and that kind of thing. I feel like that is more work because then you also need to post on Kickstarter. You also need, you need to like simple things like uploading images. You need to upload them into your, like a WordPress uh, library and then reference them, but make sure those pictures are, were optimized first. Otherwise, you know, you could have like a, a really huge picture slowing down your website and whatnot. 
versus Kickstarter, which is quite easy. I can up, I actually frequently do upload pictures that are four megs or larger and Kickstarter servers can handle them. No problem. Does it automatically compress it? They do compress it. So it, Kickstarter has a specific width for images and whatnot. It's actually kind of one of the limiting factors of the Kickstarter story is that your images can only be a certain width before they get, you know, compressed um, to the maximum width. And I believe that's 600, I want to say it's 680 pixels wide on a Kickstarter story. And it's something like 750 or 740 for uh, updates, which is a little bit, uh, a little bit strange, but, um, but yeah, it does compress them automatically and it kind of makes my life easier which is why I like to post one of the reasons I like to post there. You know, whenever I post the major update on Kickstarter, I try to share that on our other various social media. I post on BoardGameGeek. I uh, post on our Facebook group. I tag everyone in the Facebook group because it's a big deal. You know, that post is a big deal that I want and I want people to see it. And then I send out an email blast. I've, I've learned, you know, there came a time where I actually was really slow on you know, kind of sharing the the email. I skipped a lot of emails. You know, there was a time from like August through December, I didn't share anything or maybe it was like July. And I, it was just because the amount of work required to do a, a detailed Kickstarter update and then also to transfer all of that information and again, optimize images and all of that into a, a detailed email send was a lot of work. So what I have instead chosen to do is I have made a, a short email update. I give a short email update that has a link to the Kickstarter update. Uh, and that's the email that I send. Um, I'm, so I'm going to sure. try bend, I'm gonna bend your arm because if you have a WordPress site and it has an RSS feed and you post an update through automation on MailChimp, you can connect the RSS feed so that it will automatically post that blog as an email. So that's, that's actually that's... what Jamie Stegmeier does. I think that's a really smart thing to do too. I have plans to write blogs that are specifically related to deliverance, uh, very, the various characters, their art pieces, their skills and what it is they do kind of like a dice throne website. Um, if uh, our listeners are familiar with dicethrone.com, I believe it's playdicethrone.com or something. And, uh, they have one of the best websites in the industry, in my opinion, for a single game. And uh, what I wanted to do something similar where it, you know, where we, I share about each character, it talks about the very, you know, the lore behind the character, the various tactics and strategy that you might want to, you know, use uh, with when you're playing that character and various ideas for builds uh, that you might want to think about when you're playing your, uh, when you're playing a character like that. Um, I thought that would be really fun. And also it's great content for, for a website. So that's something that we're working on. Uh, when we launch the deliverance website, we'll have, uh, eventually it'll be at playdeliverance.com, but, um, we have a deliverance, the boardgame.com right now. And, and it's, um, just kind of a, you know, our, our landing page, but, but eventually I want to have a site that is fully ready to support, you know, the deliverance as an intellectual property. Um, and in that case, I totally think, it's very important to have a blog, um, you know, that, that gets kind of regular routine updates. And then the Kickstarter updates would be kind of move more into the support cat, the supportive role instead of the, for me right now, they're kind of the main thing and everything else supports the, um, the updates. So in theory, I could write a blog right now 
that would say, hey, we, we did, you know, similar to the email that I sent out, we have this uh, new post up and it talks about manufacturing and a timeline update and blah, blah, blah. And here's the link. And then that's a pretty short blog, but it's probably better to do than, than nothing. And then eventually, like you were saying, I think it would be smart to transition and make the blog kind of the main, um, the main thing. And then the Kickstarter stuff, the supportive or supporting role. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's probably partially me not being as comfortable writing on a, on a WordPress style blog as I am just, you know, with Kickstarter, because I've, I'm so, so familiar with their system at this point. Um, it's just really easy. And, and as you said, uh, they automatically compress images was a huge time save. I just downloaded yeah. that image you, t you spoke about and it's 121 kilobytes. So they right. very rarely shrunk it down. If it was, you know, four megs and right. uh, uploading a four meg image on WordPress would probably break, <laughs> break a WordPress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd, take, it'd take about 10 years to load. So I know. Uh, most WordPress platforms only allow you to upload two megs maximum. Yeah. Uh, before it's like, oh, this can't or this thing doesn't work. But yeah, it is. It is very interesting, and I'm, I'm, I, I find that I enjoy other things. For example, like YouTube, I can just copy a YouTube video link, and then you know, uh, Kickstarter has this automated embed code that all you have to do is just hit the video button, paste the video link, and then it will set it up right for you oh, whereas WordPress, if it was yeah well wordpress does that too if you press a link it'll just automatically yeah. embed it yeah so it's just i guess you know it's um something that i find the the editor is familiar to me and that's why i prefer it not because it's better but just because it's kind of what i've always done and now i'm just using it because of because it's what i've always used and, and you know so I don't necessarily think it's the smartest thing to use. So <laughs> take from that what you will. <laughs> there are some elements of what I write that cause people to troll me. However, I think that it's worthwhile and I just deal with trolls. Uh, one thing I will, pr I promise you, if you put yourself out there, there are going to be people that try to say that you're stupid, that you're ugly, that your voice is, you know, dumb or that you're you know nobody cares about this or that that you that you're writing about they're just trolling you and um i have a troll that i deal with every time i write an update without i mean i don't want to throw this person under the bus they kind of throw themselves under the bus but i call them my number one fan so they <laughs> somebody named lee uh they they constantly post and Whenever find I, I can't, yeah. <laughs> so I can't not say anything to this person, but at the same time, I have to be professional. You certainly do not want to troll people back, but I can. Yeah. <laughs> get, get your friends to do it. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast, but the latest update, they actually were one dissenter that said, you know, wow, this wasn't anticipated and expected at all. Lots more personal life slushy. You know, I typically get upset when somebody starts trolling right up front. And then I, I just, I wait, I take a breath and then I recognize whatever I write is not for that person. That person doesn't care about me. I write for the 10 times, you know, maybe a hundred times as many people that will actually read what I wrote. So that's what you, that's 
your response. So it's just like whenever, you know, if you own a business and somebody reviews you on Yelp, you need to respond, not necessarily. I have the authority to remove him as a backer. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I've um, thought about that. I told him, I, I actually told him that I would. Um, I have his email too. I could. I could. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're going to dox him right now. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I actually told him one time that if he wanted, I would, I would be happy to cancel his pledge and donate his, his uh, money to charity um, in his name. And, you know, just kind of trolling him back. Yeah, because he, he, only, he only pledged a dollar. Well, he actually upgraded for the, uh, for the deluxe edition on the pledge manager. Oh, so, okay. Got yeah, it. so he, yeah, he's, uh, he's a turkey. I know he did use a, a wink emoji. So is he, he, I think he knows it's tongue in, it's, it's tongue in cheek. I think, I think he's just. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I have fun with it. I try to, he's a, uh, he's a turkey. That's what we call it in our family. He's, he's a turkey. So, but I try, I try at least on my end, as much as it depends on me to live in peace with others. Right. So. Yeah. So sometimes when, you know, that, that is just a large tangent to say that I, I don't expect that everyone's going to appreciate everything that I write, but I do expect that the vast majority of folks will appreciate what I write as long as it's relevant to the update um, or the, the, the project and their interests. Right. And so one of the things I always try to include is an update, including pictures from, you know, of components. So you know, in this update, there are factory pictures and, you know, we talk, I've talked about the dice for a while. You get to see the, the final deliverance dice, custom dice that we did, the acrylic standees and uh, that sort of thing. You've got the play test report, which we talked about. You've got an art piece that, that we're, that we're working on for the expansion. And I actually posted this on board game geek in, I want to say like early December, it's like December 6th or 7th. And Part of you asked very early on, how do I remember what to what to say? And for me, I will be I will interact in my various communities. And when the time comes to post an update like this, I'll do a quick scan through my community, scan through Board Game Geek, scan through fa our Facebook group, that kind of thing. So that and also Discord to see what things I've shared because I forgot. And this was one of them: the uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Ariel line of God character so she's kind of like an archer with like a short bow archer with a a gigantic lion for uh that has wings for a pet so that's that was one thing that was ju i just included straight because of uh you know something i posted in my social media community and you did share a, a video of like a larping session of this like lady like headshotting <laughs> someone with a bow which i thought was like it was cool because the lady in the video had like a very similar physique to like the character you had drawn, like a similar outfit. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it was so cool. If I could find that person and show them this, I would say, can I, may I use your likeness? <laughs> You're yeah. the perfect fit. So I don't know, it, was, it was just a really cool, as Bob Ross would say, a happy little accident. Um, but yeah, it's very fun. That was a good headshot. So, Sunglasses. Oh my cool. goodness. That was the best LARPing I've ever seen. This girl, uh, we'll have to share it in the show notes and in our, our Facebook community. It just, it was, we'll share it in the crowdfunding nerds community. At least it was just legendary, um, legendary headshot with a LARPing bow. So it's like this, it's like a bow and arrow, but on the end, huge instead of a, foam. yeah, there's like a huge foam ball. <laughs> she was knocking yeah. fools over. There was one guy <laughs> that just charged at her at a million miles an hour. And she shot the arrow right above the shield and hit him in the face. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. 
Yeah. And then she shot someone else from like a really far distance. And then she shot a third guy in the face um, that was like on his knees battling someone else with his shield up. I'm just like, can't believe she just like aced it, you know? She's Lars Addison of LARPing. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.